I just woke up one day and I thought, I've got to get off social media. So it was like this creative experiment, social experiment of if I could start fresh, wipe the slate clean and start over from the first post on the type of work I would like to showcase, what would that look like? It was such a weight off my shoulders. I felt like, hallelujah, I have done something that no one else has done and they probably think I'm nuts and I don't care. Hi, I'm Caitlin Peterson, the Editor-in-Chief of Business of Home. Welcome to Trade Tales. In every episode, I'll be talking to interior designers about nurturing creativity, finding their firm's financial footing, setting goals, and discovering their own version of success as a result. My guest today is a designer who made the decision last year to go completely off the grid, on Instagram, that is. The move began as a social experiment of sorts, and it ended up revealing something surprising about her design practice. I can't wait to share it with you. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by The Shade Store. The Shade Store offers designers across the U.S. an all-inclusive destination for premium, handcrafted custom window treatments. With a team of dedicated design consultants on hand to assist you with the material and product selection process, measure and install professionals to ensure the perfect fit, and more than 100 showrooms nationwide, The Shade Store has everything you need to achieve luxurious custom shades, blinds, and drapery for your clients. Sign up for a trade account today at theshadestore.com slash trade. The Shade Store, custom made simple. As a designer, you've made it your job to help your clients find comfort and inspiration in their homes. And that means getting organized too. The Container Store has made it their mission to help with that pursuit. The company's trade program offers exclusive trade pricing on all of its ingenious storage and organization products, as well as purchase tracking to easily keep tabs on all of your in-store and online purchases. Expert project support staff is available to help guide you through the best ways to use your benefits or to answer questions about the best solutions for the project at hand. Ready to learn more? Visit containerstore.com trade program. I feel like I was born into design. My mother is an interior designer. My grandparents were also interior designers. My great-grandmother actually had an interior design firm back in the 70s. And her husband was an architect and was responsible for the restoration of the New York City Public Library. And it was always a conversation. We always talked about paint colors, antiques, fabric, layouts. It was sort of ingrained in me as an early age. The space around you is such a major part of how you feel in life. That's Megan Camp. With her family legacy, she was clearly destined for a career in design, but she wanted to see what else was out there first. I went to school for photography, and I knew I wanted to be in the world of interiors. And I worked as a stylist after college for about a decade. And it was then that I realized, huh, it's much more interesting to me to work on projects that have this longevity to them, that much after I leave, they still remain the same. With styling, it was literally you would be putting a set together in a day two days and it would be torn down and a beautiful space would be torn down. It was all for a photo. And I would often be hired 
by interior designers to style their spaces. And I was seeing the end result. And I just, as I was seeing that, I went back to my roots as a little kid seeing, well, okay, my mom did it, my grandparents did it, my great-grandparents were involved in design. Maybe there's something here. Megan was ready to put her skills to the test, and she soon found a pair of clients willing to take a chance on a budding designer. I got this one project, my first project. It was a gut renovation on the Upper East Side. It was a historic building. It came through a friend of a friend. And this couple, they were a family and they purchased an apartment in their building and they were overwhelmed. It hadn't been touched since the 40s and they didn't even know where to start. So a family friend connected me and we just started this conversation. I learned literally on the go. I had no idea what I was doing, but I loved it. And I realized this really has been my passion all along. This is, this is my happy place. Megan officially went all in on design in 2014. More recently, she began to build a small team and a move from the Upper East Side to Brooklyn captured her imagination and changed the way she thought about her work. I wanted to talk to her about her decision to quit social media, how she realized she was undercharging and why her ideal projects allow for a new kind of luxury. When did you feel like you'd really hit your stride or sort of found your footing in the design business? I would say it was right before COVID, maybe 2019. What changed for you? The clientele. I started to focus more, well, this is ironic, Instagram. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I started to focus more on social media and marketing myself that way. And I pulled in a really, really great client who had a significant budget. We did all custom. Everything was custom. Everything was high end. We did the entire duplex. It was on Park Avenue. It was gorgeous. And that's when I started pulling in a team, honing my relationships with vendors, knowing who to go to. And that's when things started moving along. And then I would also say during COVID, as I I know I'm probably repeating what so many interior designers have said, but we were literally bombarded with requests. for an entire year. And I was overwhelmed with the amount of people interested in hiring a designer and possibly hiring me. So that is when I really narrowed in to what is it that I'm doing? What is the type of business that I'm running? What is that message that I want to give out? The client experience, what is that? How does that feel from the clients? And I started really, really zooming out and zooming in and zooming out again and zooming in again. And kind of getting an overview of, all right, Megan, this is this is your business and clearly you're hitting your stride and people are interested. I can tell you that we do luxury interior design, but I wanted it to be fresh, approachable, customer service centric. I'm always talking to my team about this. We are customer service. We are in the service industry. So it's always pleasant, happy, willing to uh, be the advocate for the client. The design, we're creatives. I'm a creative. That's going to come naturally. I can do that in my sleep. It's the other part. It's the other stuff that I really was just as interested in, that client experience, um, how we speak to clients, what they're going to say about our firm after we finish working with them. Because there's a million interior designers in New York City, and it's a very competitive market. And what's going to make me stand out, my firm stand out, And I think it's not just the design. The design, of course, has to be beautiful. 
but it's everything else. How they're billed, how, what the invoice looks like, how the words we use, the font we use. I was really honing in on that. How do you start to do that? You know, how do you, how do you start to look at the fonts or mm -hmm. the client experience? How do you talk to your team about the way they're going to talk to the client? You know, how do you start to create those parameters for who you are and what the business stands for? I actually was taking inspiration from other types of businesses. Um, I, my reference is the Ritz or the Four Seasons. If you've ever stayed at one of those gorgeous hotels, you'll know that there's always a smile. It's always happy to help you, please and thank you. It's never let me know. It's always please let me know. It's the way they speak. And I actually did an experiment where I emailed a few hotels acting like a guest. Actually, one of them, I was a guest, so it wasn't all fake, but <laughs> <laughs> I would email them asking just random questions and see how they responded. Um, any material that was sent back. Also, restaurants are a great example and a great resource. How does um, Daniel on the Upper East Side or Le Coco or um, how do they respond to clients? What's yeah. the word, what are the words they use? How do they handle conflicts? That's interesting too. I've always been fascinated with conflicts and how that's a skill set. And I, I can't say that I'm fully there, but you know, those managers at restaurants or hotels and you see them handling a very difficult client or customer, like, God, that's good. I'm really like, <laughs> I wish I could talk to them. How did you get there? Yeah. Yeah. So how do I talk to my team about it? Um, they probably think I'm crazy because I'm always responding to them with thoughts. What about if we say this, or what if, what if this is what's happening at the end of a project? Or what if we leave this gift when they arrive home? I think a lot of them, they come from more of a creative architectural or interior design centric backgrounds, and they've never thought about this. So it's, it's definitely an organic process. In the early days of kind of thinking through that, what were the biggest changes you made or what were some of the most immediate shifts? Um, I spent last spring redoing my systems and processes and I created a team hub on my Google Drive. So anyone okay. who works with me can log in. They can see how we speak to clients, words, questions. We have numbered step-by-step -step systems, procedures, login information, it's all there in this team hub. And that's been really helpful. And it has reduced the amount of questions that I get from my project managers and other designers. And they get a sense of the type of business that I'm trying to run. I mean, it, it evolves every day, you know, it's, totally. it's a living, breathing thing and it evolves every single day. I'm, I'm tweaking, I'm learning, I'm growing. And the realization that this is a luxury service. So we have to provide a service in addition to the furnishings and a home for someone. Because if someone just wanted to design, they wouldn't be coming to me. They would be going to a different firm that just does design, not the full service package. What does full service mean to you? Full service is soup to nuts. It's everything from the design concept to implementing the design to the final installation, which includes, we go as far as silverware in the drawers, socks in the drawers, you know, hanging the clothes in the closet. We will go full service. I often say to clients, if you want the level of service that you just come with your toothbrush, we can provide that. And that's super exciting to me. And I think that comes from my years and background as 
a stylist where you're creating these environments. I mean, imagine if someone said to you, Caitlin, what type of environment do you want to live in? And it just magically happens and you walk in with your toothbrush. It's, it's magic. That is, to me, luxury. And that's very exciting to me. Every little detail is thought out. How do you get there? You have to do so much research to know how someone wants their closet organized or, you know, to really be so attuned to a client's needs to create that experience out of thin air. How do you lay the groundwork to get the information you need? It's a lot of questions up front. Um, I will say at the front end of a project that we will ask you or well, we will ask a client a ridiculous amount of questions. Some of them seem really silly. Like what? Um, organic or not organic, folded or flat, like just things that they might not know where we're getting at. But if we can get a sense of darker light, um, square or curved, we can start honing in on the immediate visual identity of what a client is hoping for their space. How much are people coming to you kind of knowing, okay, I have this Pinterest board and here's what inspires me. And how much are they saying, I don't know? I would say it's half and half. I would say 50% of the clients that come to us definitely have a strong identity that they're trying to implement. And the other half does not. I also see it's an age, there's an age difference. Um, and you know, the, the millennials, they definitely, it's all about aesthetic. Anything older than that, they might not know. Interesting. Okay. I was expecting you to have it go the other way that like the older you get, the more you figured out who you are and what you like. Yeah, I would think that too. Um, I do think <laughs> social media plays a huge part in it. Like exposure? Yeah, absolutely. Or what they're watching on TV versus you know, someone who's in their mid thirties is probably watching Bravo and watching TLC and HGTV and watching those shows and is aware of the celebrity interior designers or the blogs and someone who is maybe a little bit older, 50s, 60s, um, even older than that, they maybe they've had the same look or the same pieces of furniture for years, but they're not necessarily watching HGTV as, you know, kicking their feet up at the end of the day, putting on a renovation show. That's what I found. Of course, I don't know. It, it could just be the clients that are coming to me. How do you bridge the divide too between, you know, the people who are coming and saying, this is what I want it to look like, or this is what I like, but also the other piece of it. This is how I want it to feel. This is what I need from my home. How do you start to suss out those details? That is harder. <laughs> <laughs> that is harder to decipher. Um, you also get to know clients over time. So it's not a black and white process. Yeah. I do try to iron out as much as I can at the front end. So we're not wasting any time or sourcing items that aren't really ever going to work. As we show clients items, renderings, floor plans, you, you definitely get to hone in more on what their needs are, what they like. And you'll find really interesting things. I had a client recently who said, I hate Paisley. I thought, okay, we will not use Paisley. May I ask why? And she said, it reminds me of my grandmother. I'm like, okay, well, there's no fighting with that. Like I can't right. argue with you not having a good experience with Paisley, so we won't use anything Paisley. And that went to as far as nothing remotely similar to Paisley. So that was something interesting. And I wouldn't have known that when I started working with her, it was when we started showing fabric swatches. 
you you mentioned that you know I think 2019 kind of that pre-COVID time was when you started to really grow your team. Mm-hmm. How did that unfold for you, and where did you prioritize hiring first? I did not want an assistant. I didn't want someone that was an added responsibility for me. I wanted someone at my level. And I knew I wanted a project manager, someone who was not a designer, who could keep on tr- on tabs of the trades, uh, vendors ordering. We have budget updates and weekly updates that go out every week. And that's a huge part. It's the communication with the client and client management. And I wanted someone who could take the lead on that and run with it and not be concerned at all about how a project looks at the end, what we're purchasing, more of the client management and business management. So I hired a project manager and she was with me for two years. She was great. And then it grew from there. I hired another project manager recently and another interior designer. So I'm not the only designer and I can hand off some smaller projects. And it's just been an organic process. I I never got into this business to run a 20, 50, 100 person team. It's not about that for me. The work that I'm doing feels right. It feels like I found my calling. I like that I can employ other people. I also employ mostly women, which is, I think, very empowering to be a team full of women. And it's been a slow process, but it's definitely, COVID changed everything. I I know I probably sound like a broken record. No. I think everyone says that. (laughs) COVID changed everything. It's, we were, I'm a brand, I am a brand new business compared to where I was in 2019 or before COVID, even early 2020. What did it, I mean, I think it's true that, you know, COVID changed everything, but I think it's also changed different things for different people. Mm -hmm. What did it shift for you when you thought about your business? It shifted the type of clients that I would like to work with. I also moved to neighborhoods. Um, I moved from the Upper East Side to Brooklyn Heights, and I am obsessed with this neighborhood, the history. (laughs) There's a huge design culture here. Yeah. Um, Most of my clients that are here, I have a few clients that are in this neighborhood, are also obsessed with the neighborhood, and they want a designer who appreciates and can bring that appreciation to the, or bring that Brooklyn Heights aesthetic. It's rooted in history. It's a very fascinating neighborhood. But I, yeah, I walk around this neighborhood and I think I am just so lucky to live here. And I know this is not a forever place for me, but right now this feels good and it feels like home and it's so inspiring. And I love that my clients right here, my team is right here and it's a good time in my business and it's a good time in my personal life. And it also changed the type of work that I'm interested in doing. I love antiques. I love working with historical spaces and layers and big beefy moldings and cool architectural details. I'm a traditionalist at heart and I think COVID actually helped me realize that. New York is very modern. A lot of the clients here want modern and new. Yeah. Give me an antique (laughs) and a historic (laughs) 19th century molding and I'm a happy girl. We're taking a quick break to tell you about the Container Store's Preston Luxury Custom Closet Collection. The premium line of storage solutions elevates even the simplest spaces with built-in luxury and an abundance of style. Discover how easy it is to create custom storage anywhere with exclusive options like glass doors, LED lighting, 
wall beds, and the 360 organizer, which spins to maximize hard-to-access corner spaces. When it comes to stylish storage, don't let your clients settle. Explore the Preston Collection today. To learn more, visit thecontainerstore.com. Has your business always been sort of word of mouth and referral based or did moving to Brooklyn change the way you got new work? I think it's always been referrals. I do think Instagram has been a huge help, which is funny that we're going to talk about me getting off of Instagram. Mm -hmm. But Instagram is great because you can geotag. And I think Instagram is the new Google for anything visual. I also think being in a smaller market is helpful, a smaller neighborhood. You know, you said Instagram was a good driver of business, but you conducted something of like a social experiment last year yeah. mm -hmm. and you archived your entire social media feed. That's right. <laughs> so it's April, 2021, right? Yes. About a year ago. What made you want to get offline? A couple things. And I know it sounds a little crazy when I <laughs> first did it. It actually, ironically, it was unplanned. It fell on April Fool's Day. So it was April 1st, 2021. <laughs> okay. I don't know if I had been thinking about it, but I just woke up one day and I thought, I've got to get off social media. I need a break. I need a mental break for various different reasons. So I, I did a bold move and I archived everything. And I had friends texting me asking if it were an April Fool's joke. And I said, no, no. Or like a hack or a... <laughs> yeah, this is not a joke. This is a real thing. I really did it. And I can tell you that I felt like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders. I get, okay, like, maybe just deciding, like, I'm not going to post anymore. But what was it about sort of wiping the whole slate clean that mm -hmm. was important to you? So I had been posting images for that years. were... For years. That were no longer relevant to what I was doing. And... I was also posting personal images that it had nothing to do with my, my business. And also I, I was posting images that I no longer really even liked work for my portfolio that I thought, I don't even like this work, but I have to post something. So I guess I'll post this because I haven't posted it in a while or ever. And if you start looking at a feed, I started realizing this is the visual identity that I'm giving out to the world of what the type of work is that we produce as a firm. Yeah. And if I don't like half of the work, why am I posting it? So it was like this creative experiment, social experiment of if I could start fresh, wipe the slate clean and start over from the first post on the type of work I would like to showcase, what would that look like? And I didn't know. So I needed to just completely start over, start fresh, archive. They're still there. You know, if I ever want to post something, I could always post it. But it was such a weight off my shoulders. <laughs> I felt like, hallelujah, I have done something that no one else has done. And they probably think I'm nuts. And I don't care. I needed to have this reset. And I do think we all put so much weight onto social media. Yeah. And now that I'm on the other side and I've gotten back on, I can tell you that it's, there's not as much weight as we all think. Well, I think that it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. I think everyone's so afraid to get off the hamster wheel of Instagram that if yeah. they get off or they stop posting that they're going to lose business and clients, it's not true. You can find clients other ways. There's other means of marketing your business. Instagram is not the only tool. What did those nine months look like for you? And were you... Like, did, did social media just kind of fall off your radar or were you sort of plotting your return the whole time? 
I was allowing my brain to rest. I didn't know when I would go back on. I It was an organic process. I, it sounds very zen and woo-woo, but I felt like I owed it to my clients. All of these inquiries and requests and these new clients that have signed on with me, I owed it to them to really provide them with creative solutions based on their needs in what they were interested in for their own homes rather than replicating and duplicating what I saw online. And even if I'm not aware that I was replicating an item or whatever it is, a fabric, a sofa style, you can't help but be swayed if you're constantly bombarded with the same images or the same type of images. Yeah, I didn't want to see what my peers were doing. I didn't want to see what other firms were doing. I really wanted to dig deep inside me as a creative and figure out, okay, what is inside me that comes out naturally? I grew up around design. It's in me somewhere. So if you reduce the visual noise, what comes out? It's like going to a writer's retreat. I equated it to like just reducing all of the clutter and the, the noise visually and then allowing whatever it is to come up to the surface your true identity as a creative to come up and bubble up to the surface and produce that work. Did your work change? Yes, it did. It absolutely did. It became more in line with my actual personal aesthetic and truly having really great conversations with clients and not trying to shove something down their throat that I knew, well, this is the newest thing. This is a trend. They need to have this. Who cares? Trends come and go. In the end, it's not about trends. It's about a home that you are being entrusted to create for a family. And that was fascinating too. Of course, I couldn't get away from Instagram completely because my clients would show me images. And well, shows I say everybody's images. inspiration stuff is from right. social media still. Yep. They, I mean, I would get screenshots and emails from clients saying, look at this. They saw this on Instagram. So I, I couldn't completely put my head in the sand, but I deleted it off my phone. I deleted it off my tablet, my, my computer, and I just kind of went cold turkey. In what ways, I mean, how do you feel the difference on like a day-to-day basis? I am not so concerned if I miss a day posting or if I don't check it. The relationships that with trades and vendors and my community really strengthened because if you're not relying on Instagram, you have to rely on something else. And a lot of the times it's conversations, it's getting out into the world and talking to people um, and not being hiding behind or not hiding, but not just relying on a digital platform to do the work for you. I know you had all these people who had already reached out to you. So you had a bunch of leads kind of banked, but Mm -hmm. did going off Instagram actually turn off the tap of new leads or did people still keep coming? People still kept coming. I was surprised to learn how much weight I had put onto Instagram and social media before I had done this. And once I was off, Instagram's great. It's a great tool, but it's not the end all be all of how you run your business. And you turn off social media, but you have to turn on something else. Yes. So I didn't turn off social media and then go radio silent. I turned off social media and I said, okay, so I need to market other ways. And I need to start doing different things if it's not going to be through this platform. And I literally would pick up the phone and talk to my painter and just have have really focused 
present conversations rather than this distraction. I really was, I, I wanted to, I keep saying this to reduce the visual, uh, reduce the visual noise yeah, and the clutter that was in my brain. And I didn't want to be swayed by, uh, an image that I saw unbeknownst to me, you know, reproducing it. And maybe that's, it's not the right fit for a client. It's whatever I'm seeing. And so now it's not there as sort of a content machine. It's sort of, if people are going to check and it kind of validates what they already know about you then. I also, well, I found that most people, when they find, they find out about a business, they go to Instagram first. If they like what they see, then they go to the website. Yep. So I knew I needed something up there. Like the stepping stone. Yes. They don't go, most people don't go to the website first. It's the other way around. So I ha I knew I had to put a couple images up there make them the best that we could, you know, the best images that we had, the most um, most reflective of the type of firm that we are. And I have been told this too, where a client says, I love your Instagram and I found your website. So I know that that's the direction, that's the, the way they're finding us. Um, but I also, there's very successful businesses, interior design businesses or not, that aren't even on Instagram. And it doesn't mean that they're any less, less profitable because they're not on social media. When I talk to designers about social media, so often people are caught up, whether they're excited about it or not, and the idea that they have to be the brand. Yeah, and I think that it depends on who you speak to. Um, if a publicist side, a PR side of things, it'll be very much that if your name is the business you are a brand and people are interested in seeing what happens behind the scenes and what else yeah. happens at the brand i've found personally that people who follow me or my followers they don't really care about <laughs> they don't care they just want to see the work they're here to follow the work and also as a consumer as well if i'm following a feed and let's say it's a restaurant and all of a sudden they're posting about their dog it's not why i'm following that business to begin with, or a person. I think a personal Instagram is totally different yeah. than a business. A business should be relevant to whatever it is that business is and really fine tuning and narrowing in on what they're trying to sell. Either it's a product or a service or a platform. I don't know. It's about, it's about the work. It's not about me as a, it's as a, I am a brand because the name is my yeah. name. But actually, if I did it again, I wouldn't have. I, I was just going to ask you that. That's so no, funny. Do something different. <laughs> do, you, do you think about that now sometimes? Yes, I do. Um, although it, I can't keep rebranding. So I have to stick with something. And, you know, it's my name. It'll never go out. Of, it's never going to not be something special to me. But it is very close that if, it, you know, it's, it's hard when your name is on the front door. It's literally your name. You only get one name. What comes next or what, where do you grow from here? I have been approached by a client to create an entire, an entire atmosphere and environment for a client so that they literally can come with their toothbrush and just yeah. lay their head down and their home is done. That is where I would like to focus. That to me is fascinating. It's like a set, it's a movie set, but it's a real home. 
And if you've ever been in those homes where the entire space is so beautifully executed, every single closet, drawer, corner is just, your mouth is open. You're like, oh my gosh, people live this way. This is gorgeous. Well, they don't really do it. They hire someone. And that that is fascinating. And that's the type of service and the level of design that I would like to get more into. How do you cultivate that? Or how how do you make sure more projects like that come in? We just start talking about it. Yeah. Um, I I don't think people fully know that that's a possibility. And if you can start saying, what level of design are you interested in? Would this be of interest to you? Is this something you'd want to do? And and gauge their response. Um, some don't. Some say, no, we just need the furnishings. And some <laughs> are like, yes, I've never heard this is a possibility. It actually works more for people's second homes, their first homes, because they don't really want to be focusing on all that, all the nitty gritty of um, the appliances. The in the cupboard. Yeah. 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 They just want to enjoy wherever it is that they're weekending or wintering or whatever they are, wherever they're spending their time in their second residence. It's that's where I'm finding that our, my interest lies in creating homes for the full, the full shebang, the full package or the full environment. We're taking a quick break to remind designers about one of the many benefits of the Shade Store's industry-leading trade program. Designers enjoy trade-exclusive access to the Shade Store's COM program for Roman shades, drapery, and cornices. And when you combine that with the Shade Store's curated collection of more than 1,300 in-stock materials, the creative possibilities are virtually endless. Visit theshadestore.com trade to sign up for a trade account and learn more. As you've grown your team, how has that changed your role in your business? I wish I could say that I'm doing more design. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not. It's definitely more of um, the mommy of the business. I feel like I'm constantly thinking of big picture and then the small detail and then zooming back into, do we have the right flowers for the bedside table for tomorrow's install? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit exhausting, but I like the challenge. I'm up for it. And obviously I wouldn't be doing this if it weren't exciting. How have you approached billing for your work? We bill hourly. However, I am slowly coming around to the idea of billing a flat fee. What changed? I'm viewing it from a client's perspective. They want to know how much they're going to be paying it, not have this wishy-washy, we think it's going to be 500 hours. Here's your price. However, it could go up. I wouldn't hire someone at that. I want to know. Um, and we recently are working on a uh, commercial project and that's generally how commercial projects bill. It's a flat fee. Yeah. So this is new. This is like when the past couple of weeks I'm starting to, well, you know, maybe a flat fee is actually the way to go for some of the bigger projects. What would that change for you, you know, in terms of how your team is working? Um, it would be much more ironed out. They would, clients would need to know that this is the amount of on-site in-person visits they get, how many phone calls we have, how many revisions we give them. Every project, I learned something new. Yeah. So, you know, in a year from now, I could say flat fee was the most terrible idea I've ever come up with <laughs> and forget it. I'm going to go back to hourly, but right now I'm started, I'm started, I'm starting to come around to the idea. I also know that when a client speaks to us, they're speaking to five other designers. Yeah. 
So how do you make it really easy for them to comprehend? What is the one thing you know now that you wish you had known when you started your firm? That it's less about design. And if I'm going into business by myself, it's very much first and foremost a business. And it's okay to charge for the services that you're being asked to do. I think when I started out, people would ask me, uh, questions. Can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? And I feel flattered. Oh, I am. I would love to help you. They're not asking me because I mean, they're asking me because they value my opinion and it's okay to charge. Yeah. And not only that, it's okay to charge accordingly. Can you help me? It's such a like insidious phrase, I feel like in some ways. <laughs> yes. Or if it's a friend of a friend's or even if it is an actual friend, if they ask for help, they're asking me for a reason. And I, it's like going to the doctors. I have a few of my doctors are actually personal friends of mine. They still charge me. Right. But I'm going to them because I I trust them. You value their opinion, right? Exactly. So if someone's coming to me, it doesn't mean that they're expecting any free service. You know, it's charging, but charging accordingly. What's interesting though is that this is not discussed. It's how much. What is that number? No one discusses the number. They always people are always saying charge your work. Well, what is that? <laughs> What is that worth? And I had an ex-boyfriend tell me about who actually gave me a number. Was it a number you agreed with? Was it higher? Was it lower? It was like five times higher than what I was charging. Wow. Did you change your rate? Oh, yeah. Within an instant, I told him what my retainer was. And he went, Megan, what are you doing? He was also in the industry, so he knew. But I, yeah, I needed, and I unfortunately needed a man to tell me how I was undercharging. <laughs> it's like... How early in the business was that? That was like right around the pandemic time. That wasn't that okay. long ago. Yeah, it's a little embarrassing. But I think the consumer the, who's hiring a firm, they just, they really don't know how much. Um, I just quoted someone for a year long renovation. Yeah. I think the design fee was 80 grand. And they were like, what? I'm like, that is pretty standard. Right. Like I'm not quoting you anything above you want to redo your floors, all new appliances, redo your kitchen, paint, wallpaper. Our fee for that, our design fee, that's not our markup, but our design fee for ours, yeah, 80 grand. What? <laughs> oh my God, if you're balking at this, you should not be hiring someone. You should be doing it yourself. Yeah. And these are two people who work in finance. Yeah. We're buying a $5 million apartment. I think that's the interesting thing to me too. And I feel like I hear that a lot is, you know, someone's so willing to spend the money on the real estate, but then either just doesn't have the money left over for the design because they spent all of their money on the house or hasn't like level, like set their expectations that both halves are going to be sort of similar investments. Yeah. I, yeah. And I don't know if the real estate agents really talk about it. I don't think they care. They just want to make the sale. You know, I don't think it's their MO to yeah. get a designer in. To be like, by the way, do you have an extra 25%? Right. That's not a mortgage. To like right. It's to have furniture. Yeah. And I also think it has something to do with HGTV, dare I say. And yeah. It's, when I watch this, it's like doctors watching Grey's, Grey's Anatomy. Anatomy. Yeah. And they can't watch it. They're like, that's fake. That's fake. That's fake. That's everything is fake and wrong. And that's not the way it's done. When I watch HGTV, I'm like, you did that in two weeks for a $5,000 budget. No wonder people are coming to us thinking that we're crazy for quoting, you know, a six figure design fee. Yeah. For a renovation on a $5 million apartment. 
it's pretty frustrating. Yeah. I don't know if it's ever going to change. You know, it's interesting when you show a client a number on what it'll actually cost, they haven't spent anything yet. They've given you a retainer. We're into budget phase. So their credit card hasn't been swiped or charged, so to say. It's just this arbitrary number. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything until they actually, it's money taken out of their bank account and it's being spent. And that's when you start seeing the visceral reaction where, oh my God, we're spending so much money. We're spending so much money. And it's like, yes, but we went over this at the front end. But at that point they had it. It's like when you, you know, if you're going, let's say you're going shopping and you think I'm going to get all these things and I'm going to go, I'm going on vacation. I'm going to get a bunch of new outfits and you go and you're fully prepared to spend a couple grand on a couple of, you know, whatever it is. And then you go to Bloomingdale's and you're swiping your card and you're swiping your card and you're going, oh, oh, that hurt. <laughs> That's how it is with the clients. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so, yeah, we do oftentimes halfway through a project, we have to sort of remind them that remember we talked about this and remember it's going to be great. And yeah, it's a lot of handholding. What does success look like to you? It only has happened recently, but being able to turn my brain off and to enjoy my free time with my friends and family and people that I love and not be thinking about work and know that it's all going to be okay, that I can take Saturday and Sunday off or a vacation, that to me is success. I also spent the winter months this past winter in California with my family. And I felt very successful out there. I thought <laughs> I can I can leave New York for three months and the business is still running and everything is great and clients are still happy. I must be onto something good here because who can do that? That to me is success when I can spend a Saturday afternoon and I'm going to a farmer's market and I'm cooking a dinner and I'm going on a run and I'm doing these other great things in my life and I'm not focused on that email that I need to send out on Monday. So yeah, success to me is not thinking about my business. How's that for an answer? <laughs> I love it. Thinking about the business though, for a second, what does leveling up look like for you? What is sort of the dream for your firm? Interestingly, I know we're all working from home still, or a lot of us are working from home or digitally. I'm actually, I've been thinking of, how, of um, going back and getting an office space. And having an environment that I've created that I can invite clients to, my team, vendors, trades, and be in the same space in real time and have all of my work items there and then close the door at night and come home. Because right now it's very intermixed. It's I have fabric memos all over my, you know, living room and then I it's just it's a little too combined where yeah. I once loved that. I, I used to love that I can get my personal things done with alongside my business and I can wake up and go right to work and there's no commute. But now I'm, I'm starting to see the shift in um, the importance of having a designated space, but also a space where other people can come to and get the work done so that they have a space to come to that's not their bedroom or living room or yeah. kitchen table. And work gets done a lot quicker that way. And also you build relationships with, and relationships are so important. Yeah. You can build relationships with your team and, and vendors and whoever, whoever's working on a project, even clients. Yeah. I was on 
site with this project that we're installing and my will mill workers there my painters there my project managers there and i'm there and we got so much done in an hour because we're all literally just like boom boom talking to each other and yeah that doesn't happen as much anymore yeah and it should because I, I i don't know i think there's i think if you've worked in an office like i have you did you guys work in an office before we the did pandemic? before covid yeah so you're probably on the opposite spectrum thinking this is amazing i'm in my pajamas and i'm yes and no i mean there's there's something though too about you know we all used to sit at one long table mm. and you'd say like oh I just got this email or I just got off the phone with so-and-so and they said this. And then someone at the other end of the table would shout, you know, oh my gosh, I talked to someone last week who had like a similar idea. And I don't know, there's something about the synthesis of ideas and the way that you were able to see patterns. Mm -hmm. You know, for us, it was seeing industry patterns or, you know, really understanding bigger picture shifts that were happening that I think, I, th I think that is a little bit lost. You know, I, when, I when everything is virtual or when you're when you're saving all of your thoughts for like, oh, Zoom check in or, mm -hmm. you know, the the sort of spur of the moment, like, oh, my gosh, you guys, this thing just happened. Mm -hmm. And someone else says, oh, I know something about that is just not the same. No, it's not the same. Yeah, it's a little bit more scheduled when it's not in person. Also, emails and texts can come across as very abrasive. Yeah. When it does it. It's not abrasive at all. And it's just to the point. I have a tendency to write just really to my team, just really direct. Yeah. It doesn't need to be so flowery. It's just, you know, this is what we're working on, this is what we do. Can you do this? Blah, blah, blah. To clients is different. It's it's, you know, hope you're well, hope you had a great weekend. It's a little bit more flowery, yeah. but sometimes the directness comes across as Megan's in a bad mood, and I'm I'm not actually. Right. I'm not at all. It's I'm just shooting out an email. Um with some thoughts. Yeah. And that is something that I realized, yeah, that I don't know if that ever will change if you're working in a digital capacity. So I, I think there's going to be a little bit of a backlash to this working from home. Totally. I think I've always worked from home and I'm now wanting to have an office space. Yeah. yeah. I'm willing to pay for an office space. What is like the pie in the sky? Like, what do you want the firm to be? I would really like to take a few projects a year. So it's quality, not quantity and have a very tight knit team that produces beautiful work and exceptional customer service. So our clients are not only getting a gorgeous end result, but the experience they've had with us has been top notch to the level of a five-star hotel and that's I don't know how I'm going to get there um, <laughs> because I am a you know I, I don't know but that is that's the goal and I would like to not be focused all the time on the, on the work and on the um, I think it's very important to be well-rounded and to turn your brain off and to do things that are not um, not anything to do with your job yeah, because everyone has hobbies and everyone has, you know, or I hope everyone has other outlets than their their job. But actually, I find inspiration in not designing. So I'll be, I don't know, on a walk somewhere with, you know, in the woods. And that's where my inspiration comes. It's when I turn my brain off. This has been incredible. Thank you so much. Happy to talk to you. And thank you for, for doing this. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. Before you go, 
If you'd like to keep up with the latest design industry news, hear more great podcasts, check out new products, or browse job openings, head on over to businessofhome.com. If you have a note for the show or a story of your own to share, I'd love to hear from you. And you can email me at tradetales at businessofhome.com. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others discover the show. Trade Tales is produced by me, Caitlin Peterson, and Fred Nicolaus. This episode was edited by Caroline Burke and Michael Castaneda. Our theme music is by Kyle Scott Wilson. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you in two weeks.